Welcome to the Hope Sports Podcast, where we believe that the fear of failure takes the fun out of the game. Living with purpose puts the joy back in your dreams and gives you the freedom to be your best. I'm your host, Olympic gold medalist, Laura Wilkinson. And I couldn't be more thrilled to bring you today's guest, professional swimmer, Michael Andrew. Michael is the youngest ever swimmer to go pro at age 14. His dad has been his coach since the beginning. They built training pools in their backyard, and he has broken dozens upon dozens of records. He's the next big thing coming up in swimming, and his unique training style is changing the way athletes and coaches are approaching the sport. In short, this guy is making waves. And on top of that, he is just so stinking wise for his age. You are in for a real treat today, so let's dive on in. Michael, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the Hope Sports Podcast. We're glad you're here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so for our listeners that may not be as familiar with you, can you kind of tell us how you got your start in swimming? Boy, um, yeah, so we have a very long uh, story. For me, I started swimming when I was about seven years old. That's when I learned to swim. At the time, we were living in Aberdeen, South Dakota. My dad grew up swimming, playing rugby, very athletic. Um, And so once we were kind of introduced to the swimming community, I very naturally fell in love with the sport. My sister at the time was also swimming with me. So like we were kind of like training buddies, like we would progress and go through the sport. By the time I was about 10 years old, I, I started breaking records and started really seeing the sport as something that I was a gift. It was a, I feel like God had given me a talent to move fast through water. And that's when I started to take a little bit more, um, take it a little more seriously. But that's mm-hmm. kind of where the journey started. And I mean, it's, it's come a long ways. It's been a crazy, crazy journey. But swimming's one of those things that I, uh, I couldn't see myself living without. Kind of. Well, so has your, has your dad always been your coach or did you just start on like a local club or how did that come about? Yeah. So what the first season, I guess, of my swimming career, like I was eight years old, we were swimming on a local club, um, Aberdeen Swim Club, I believe it was, ASC. And we quickly ran into politics in terms of I could break this state record, but so could someone else that was related to the coach. And so we were like, oh, this is just, like, we don't want to deal with this. And so after, I think it was a little less than a year of swimming on the local team, we broke away and decided to contact other coaches and other professionals in the sport. Um, and we'd speak to these guys that were high up in USA Swimming or a random private coach here and there. And we tried that for a season. And we just, it was tough. We didn't think it would work out in long term. And then my dad was like, well, why don't I just do it? And so my dad then on, went on this kind of uh, a crazed research. He studied everything in swimming. And eventually we found our methodology, the way we train, which is very unique. But up to, I think he started coaching me uh, like young nine-year-old. And then by the time I was 10, that's when started breaking records. So it seemed to work at the time. Well, if it it works, right, go with it. Um, And you guys built a two-lane indoor pool in your backyard. I mean, was that, uh, just tell me how that came to be, because not everybody has a pool, let alone an indoor pool in their backyard. Yeah. So while we were living, so we actually, we built two pools. It's kind of crazy. While we were living in South Dakota, we built a four-lane pool in what was an old condemned nightclub 
downtown. That's where we started our swim team. Oh, wow. So, like my swim journey started. And then once we moved to Lawrence, Kansas, we were like, oh my goodness, we don't have a pool anymore. And we had like the local pool in town that was cool, but we were kind of crazy. And we always like, you know, we were used to having a pool. And so we built the two lane pool in our backyard in Kansas. And I think part of it, I don't know, for me, the, like our parents are very crazy and the way we do things, it's very full on. Like we do it with everything and we had the the resources to do it. And we are like, why not? Like, this is awesome. It's, and also I think we, we use it in terms of a ministry. We feel like having a pool at our own place, we had a lot of opportunities to host clinics and private lessons. And then we could have people come into our house and use that as a, a way to help, obviously, the swimming community, but also to share a little bit of our story and things we've learned along the way. Um, so having a pool is very helpful. But here, like we're, we just moved to San Diego recently, and we don't have a pool. We have a very small house, you know, but it's nice because it's, it's, it's a different season in life. And I think in that season, it was perfect. It really helped us a lot in terms of training and having people through. So where do you train now? So there's a YMCA, very close, really nice pools. That's one perk about living in San Diego is there's pools everywhere. <laughs> nice. Everybody's very health conscious. Everyone seems to be a professional athlete here. Um, so there's the YMCA we've been training at and the Boys and Girls Club. But like I said, tons of pools around. And we've got a lot of good friends that swim and run clubs here. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Okay. Well, tell me a little bit about USRPT. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's ultra short race pace training. Tell me how it kind of came about, how it's, and how it's changed and revolutionized your swimming career. Yeah, absolutely. So USRPT, like you said, ultra short race pace training, it's the principle of USRPT is specificity. So a lot of the times in what is considered a traditional program, they're swimming thousands and thousands of yards per day or per session where they're doing drills and these odd cycles and odd intervals and upside down, whatever. And you, you do a lot of damage and create a lot of fatigue in the body with USRPT. The idea is because of the way our brain codes movement and processes these um, movements, I guess we, we want to do everything constantly and repetitively so that our body then knows exactly what to do when it comes time to race. And the term USRPT was coined in about 2011. My dad, um, I guess we kind of came across the method in 2009. Uh, we were at an ASCA, so America's Swim Coaches Association. There was a, they were honoring Dr. Carlisle and Dr. Carlisle, one of his, I guess, um, uh, who would it be? Someone that was kind of underneath his wing, um, Dr. Brent Russell was the scientist who had come up with the science and the um, methodology of USRPT. After that, we decided to like go and meet him, become good friends with him. And like, we're like, this is going to be what gets me to where I want to go in the future. And so we started working alongside him and that's obviously how USRPT kind of grew. And now it's, it's been incredible. We see a lot of teams, a lot of clubs, um, a lot of international teams starting to implement USRPT. And it, obviously it has to do with results because, you know, we're a very results-driven world. And so people have seen that I can achieve one thing by doing something different than the norm. Um, and it's been amazing. It's been an awesome journey. I feel like that's part of our higher calling and purpose towards the swimming community is, you know, being able to change the perspectives on how things need to be done. That's awesome. 
Very awesome. Now, to top that, at 14 years old, you signed an endorsement deal. Like, this is working obviously very well. Um, and that made you the youngest swimmer in U.S. history to turn professional. Uh, did that change anything for you as far as how you approach training, your meets, how you just felt about things in general? Yeah, it, it changed a lot. Um, in the beginning, it was not a good change. So for me, when I first signed to be a professional athlete, I obviously had to give up a lot of things. So I had to give up um, high school swimming and NCAA eligibility, which for me was actually easy. Like I, I knew I didn't want to swim in the university because the way they did things was very different. And often the athlete was kind of ruined. Um, but what what was tough was I didn't know really where my where I found my value or where mm -hmm. I found my worth. And I think a lot of it was because I I so badly wanted to impress, I wanted to please break records, I wanted to be the guy in the spotlight. And what I realized and what my family realized pretty quickly on was as I showed up to race because I now was sponsored and I had something to prove, mm -hmm. I was so afraid to fail um, that I'd show up just sick. I'd get nauseous. I'd be afraid of the next kid, a kid that I could easily be, but I was so afraid of losing something that I had now, I don't know, earned. Um, and then luckily, or very, I guess, God willing, I got blessing. It was, a, it was a blessing. But um, my we had spiritual mentors and friends throughout the sport. Dr. Ashley Null is a close guy. Um, Josh Davis, who's pretty high up in the sport now, Olympian from 96, I believe. Um, they had in, invited me to what was a Bible retreat in Texas, uh, Lady Lodge, I believe, mm -hmm. where I then for the first time learned how to not have a performance-based identity, but have a purpose-based identity and to find my worth in my relationship with Christ. And that, I mean, it didn't change everything immediately for sure. Like it's, I feel like even today it's a still a constant learning process, mm -hmm. but it gave me a lot of freedom to show up and race knowing that regardless of what happens here, I'm still loved by my family, my parents, my friends. Like I'm not defined by what happens in the pool. Obviously mm -hmm. it's awesome if I do well, but it, it, ultimately doesn't earn me anything in heaven like this, like life's so short. So it, it helped a lot. And that's why I'm so grateful for going pro so young because I was able, I'm 19 now and I feel like I've lived a full life. <laughs> like I've, I've been able to <laughs> learn so many things that kids my age will maybe not ever get to experience. And I think that's awesome, but that gives me an opportunity now to feed that back into others' lives. I love it. I love it. Well, so I have to ask you kind of along those lines. I mean, you've been very kind of against the grain, so to speak, on several levels in swimming. I mean, you're homeschooled. You do this kind of controversial training technique that, like you said, most people don't do. And then you went pro at barely 13 or 14. I mean, was there like a backlash? Was there a grumbling from people? Did you hear it? Were you aloof to it? Did it affect you? Um, how did yeah. that kind of play out? <laughs> There, there was a lot of backlash. And so with this kind of age in swimming through a lot of the blogs, there's a lot of, there's a few blogs that are really big in the swimming world. And the comment section is really where people go to read. They don't read the articles, they read the comment section. Mm -hmm. And we, we had some interesting things said, a lot of people that obviously didn't know us um, and they didn't understand our, our point of view. My parents 
both being originally South African, we come from a very different upbringing. And so we didn't see that, we didn't believe in like the American way of, you know, high school swimming, college swimming. And if you're still good enough after the four years of brutal (laughs) beating, (laughs) then try and go pro. Like I was like, you know what? My dream is to go to the Olympics to swim pro. Like this is what I want to do. Why, if I have the opportunity now to do it, why not take it? Um, And so a lot of people didn't, didn't quite understand our, you know, philosophy behind that. And it took them a bit to kind of see that. And I feel like now, five years later, people have started to get to know me a little more personally. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, through interviews, which is kind of odd, but like they've gotten to know me a little more personally and see me on deck and talk to me and meet me and see that, you know what, we're a family that loves the sport. We want, they, my parents want the best for me as an athlete and as a child and like we took the opportunity and I think people that their mind is definitely changed towards it. And we've almost come full circle from where people I think were absolutely nuts trying to destroy this child. He's in a bubble. He can't do anything on his own to now he's an independent child. Who's a professional athlete traveling the world, doing what he absolutely loves. And, um, you know, leaving some sort of lasting effect out of it. So it's, it's, it's really cool to see where that's come from because it, it was pretty hectic at first. Like we, we dealt with a lot of pressure that probably put more on ourselves, but it definitely came from a third party. Yeah. Did you, I mean, how did you guys kind of, I, I guess as a family, you guys seem really close. Was that really helpful just having your mm-hmm. family just so supportive and kind of reinforcing like, this is why we do it. I, I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it was huge. So for us to like making the decision, we, it wasn't something we took lightly. We, we gave it a lot of thought, um, a lot of prayer and we feel like God was just giving us an opportunity. And so, um, you know, kind of lining up the pros and cons of it, you know, we had to give up some things, but those things didn't really affect us long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, like we can still, I get my education online. I can still travel. I can train, I can race, I can do all these things. And I don't know, I can kind of continue to live up to what I feel is my calling. So That's awesome. I love it. And I love what your dad had to say when you went pro. I have this great quote from him. He says, Michael has massive, massive abilities, but he's got to be enjoying it or else we're not going to do it anymore. Sometimes with Michael, I find myself getting frustrated because he's not making a time that I want him to be making like any coach would. Um, And I have to catch myself because my relationship with him as a son is what's most important. So what is that? How has that dynamic worked with your dad being your coach all these years? Yeah. So I feel like the last two years has really been where we have gotten it right. Um, like we finally kind of grasped how to properly manage it because it is hard because we, we work so closely as coach and athlete, but we also spend every single day, you know, together in the house as dad and son. Um, and something we had learned not too long ago, uh, I don't even know where it was from, but um, dad had heard a message on, coaching like a father loves and it was massive like it changed everything because we realized we didn't have to switch hats from coach to dad and because that's what we've always kind of been told like there's like a coach has to be angry and intense and (laughs) care about the results and stuff like that it's like why don't why doesn't the coach just be dad as well like because you can still care and love and support and encourage without breaking down and belittling and i feel like 
that was huge because we were able to show up race and or train and not let it affect our days if it was a bad practice because we knew it didn't define us ultimately as a family and as a unit. And so it gave me the freedom to just train a little freer of that fear of my dad being affected by a bad practice and it would affect me as well. And then, you know, you swim slowly and it's a cycle of constantly learning and coming back to the same place, but it's been awesome. Um, and I think too, with that realization all kind of coming undone, I was able to take a bit more ownership of my sport and know, you know what, my, my dad is a huge part of my swimming. He's yes, my coach, but he loves me regardless. And I'm able to now just show up and race and train and, and really give my all. And I feel like this last two years has been incredible. It's really been a breakout season last year because I was able to just work hard and know that, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm just, I'm still Michael Andrew. Ah, that's so good. At Hope Sports, we know that you want to be the best athlete that you can be. And in order to do that, you train hard and dedicate yourself to performing at your peak. But sometimes it can feel monotonous. Every day has a similar routine and when you win, well, no victory feels as good as a loss feels bad. It doesn't have to be this way. We believe athletes can compete at their full potential and reach their dreams while feeling lasting satisfaction from their accomplishments. We understand what it's like when you've dedicated your life to something, but you feel like you're never living up to people's expectations and you don't feel satisfied with your achievements. Hundreds of athletes have told us that they've discovered how to compete at their best while finding lasting fulfillment in their achievements during our interactive international service trips. Our next trip is coming up June 7th through 10th in Rosarita, Mexico, and we want you to be there. It's so easy to get involved. Just go to hopesports.org, sign up for the June 7th through 10th home build, and build hope for a family and win like never before. So sign up today. It could be the key you need to find success in your career. Okay, at the 2016 Olympic trials in Omaha, you came oh so close, just yes. 0. 0.64 seconds away from making the team. You finished fourth. Were you expecting to make that team? Like, were you not? Were you devastated? Was it not a big deal? Like, how how did you handle that? Because you were still really young. You are yeah, still really I was, young. <laughs> I was 17. Um, going into Olympic trials, maybe three weeks prior, I was kind of in what felt like a slump where I didn't really know how to race properly. Like my mentally, I think I was going and ready for this, the biggest event of my life. And I wasn't performing where I had wanted to. And I wasn't used to that. Mm -hmm. And about a week before we swam like a test event and I had this massive time drop. And like, I remember getting out of that race, just crying because I was like, like, I'm, I'm back. Like I, I now believe I can swim to my potential which is kind of weird. I didn't, I shouldn't have needed that, but that was like really what switched the, the tide. And for me going into trials, I knew that no one expected me to make it. I was a young 17. They were just ready to kind of see this as a development meet and then get ready for 2020 or future world champs because they know I'm coming up. Um, and for me, I had a bit of that same in my head. It's like, you know what? No one really thinks I'm going to make it, but that's awesome because that makes me the underdog. Mm -hmm. So I can now just go out and show how awesome I am in the pool. And I did that. And I was, I believe, the only athlete to get faster from prelims to semifinals to finals. Oh, cool. I had an amass, I had an incredible meet. Like I was, I ended up 
making it to the world champ team through that for later in the year in December, which was a big meet for me. But, you know, going into trials, it was the same thing that I had to wrestle with in terms of knowing, you know what, if I race hard and well here and I still don't make it, yes, I'll be upset. And I was, I cried afterwards. I was stoked for my friend that had made the team prior, like just the heat before me. But I was upset that I didn't make it because I still work for that, you know? Sure. And at the same time, I was able to look back and be like, you know what? This is awesome. I'm here on what's the biggest stage of my life, swimming in front of like 20,000 people live. That's and so cool. <laughs> I, I swam my best time. I broke a world junior record. Like what? I shouldn't be unhappy. And I let this kind of fuel the flame for the next four years. And um, no, it was an awesome experience. And I think having that mental fortitude and that perspective changed and not being defined by the sport gave me the ability to not be crushed by it. Because a lot of athletes do show up to Olympic trials having trained four years for this 50 seconds that ends up defining their entire career and... To me, that sounds very scary. Like I couldn't imagine living off of that one moment because you really can't control the outcome. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's kind of tough to live in a world where we work so hard for an outcome that we can't actually control. Oh, so well extent. said. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, but we do, right? It, it's this right. big struggle in sports. I totally agree. Because yeah. um, I, I just missed out in 96. I just missed making my first Olympic trials because I, wow. I had won this prelim meet and at our last nationals to qualify. And and then I just, I mean, I was nervous because I won and then I, I biffed the finals and I missed it by like a point and a half or something. But I let that be my fire for the next four years, just like you're talking about. And then right. I came back and not only made the Olympic team, but won the Olympics the next That's time. So, so, awesome. so I, I totally understand what you're yeah. talking about there. Um, wow. So last year, 2018, you won your first national title in the 50 butterfly, topping American record holder Caleb Dressel by four hundredths of a second. But then it was like, once you broke through, nothing could stop you. You also picked up the 50 brushstroke title with a U.S. Open record, um, the 50 freestyle goal with a personal best, and then the 100 brushstroke. I mean, what was this just kind of a culmination of all the work and all the training you guys had done? Or was this some of the breakthrough you had been talking about? Like, what? how did it all just happen all of a sudden? How did it come together so well? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I don't really know. Like, obviously, it's something that I can't, like, put in like, this is exactly what it was. Um, like you said, it was a culmination of things. There were a lot of things that I had been learning and dealing with going into it. And I feel like it all kind of came together at like the right moment. And for me, after that 50 fly, I knew, actually no, it was after the 100 freestyle the first day. So the 100 freestyle is a race that I don't really swim often. It's a race I don't really enjoy. <laughs> and I, I ended up, dropping like 0.2 of a second. So not a lot of time. My freestyle is not like my hundred freestyle is not really where it should be in terms of like the rest of my events. Um, and we all have a kryptonite. Like a, it's okay. Exactly. So, <laughs> so I'm like a 49 six. So for me it was a really great time. And I knew that after that swim, I got out of the pool and I told my dad, this is going to be the best meet of my life. Just watch. And we went into it day after day after day, and it was just getting better and better and better. And um, I think a lot of what kind of changed after that race was I had that confidence knowing, okay, I am the most prepared physically, most prepared mentally. Now all I need to do is show up 
and let the results be what they may. And that's, it was one of those meets that I it was, those were all God swims really. Like, I feel like I felt like the Holy spirit was in the water with me racing. And that was something I prayed before all my races, like Lord show up in the water, help me to feel your peace, presence, purpose, and power in this race. And, and he was faithful and it doesn't happen like that every time, you know, it happens in different ways, but I feel like I had for the first time put in the work to stand up in the blocks, knowing I'm capable and I feel like God had rewarded me for that. Um, not that he rewards you for being a good person or anything like that, but it's, it's just one of those things that everything kind of came together at the right time. This might be kind of a random question, but sometimes when I've had moments like that where I, I stand up mm-hmm. to, to do some dives and you just know, kind of like you said, Dad, just watch this. Like, I know what's going to happen. And you do this amazing thing. Does it kind of feel almost like an act of worship? Like, you know, if you're singing this song to God and you just really like feel his presence, mm-hmm. like, does that kind of what it felt like a little bit? Absolutely. hundred percent. And this is something I learned not too long ago was like with training, don't see it as a grind or the a breaking down of the body, but more an act of worship because it's it's something that should bring you joy. Like if you're going to be putting so many hours into a sport, you should enjoy it. Mm. And God gives us sport for us to be happy. Like He knows it's a source of enjoyment. Um, I don't know if you've read Doctor Null's or Doctor Ashley Null's book, Real Joy, but an amazing book. You should read. I can probably send you a book. But um, the idea is that we have sport not for accolades and this and that, but God gives it to us because we enjoy it and he wants to see us happy. And Mm -hmm. so for me, when I'm training, like if I can change that to a source of worship, it makes it that much easier to grind, you know? That, so it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. So good. We're actually going to interview uh, Dr. Noel here in a, in a few weeks. So he'll, he's oh, on the awesome. roster too. So this will be great to follow up with this. That'll be perfect. Um, okay. So you also last year won at the 2018 Pan Packs, the men's 50 free. That was your first major, what, individual international mm-hmm. title, right? So what was that Long experience course, yes. like? Yeah. For me, it was, it was awesome. Going into it, it was another thing where I like, after nationals, I knew I was going to do it. Um, I just had to step on the blocks and not fall over. <laughs> it was, you know, like I had, I've had a lot of, um, for me, it helped because I had a lot of experience beforehand with short course worlds, lots of nationals, um, lots of world cup racing. Like, so all the guys I was racing, I knew them well and I wasn't afraid of them. I wasn't afraid to step up and be my own and race. And, um, I know, like I said, after nationals, I was just on fire. Like I was going from one thing to the next. And it was one of those races where I stood up and just did what I had prepared to do and it all worked out. So this, yeah, it was, it was an awesome opportunity. And I really loved it. And for me too, it almost felt like I was like a home crowd in a sense, because we were in Tokyo, like I had raced. In was to- it in the Olympic pool? No. So the Olympic pool is actually being built like, half a mile away from us. So every time we drove to the Tatsumi Aquatic Center, we would pass the Olympic pool and we'd see it. Oh, I was like, cool. okay, this is awesome. Like <laughs> I will be here in two years and this is kind of setting the stage for something. And I have a lot of Japanese friends because I've raced there like four times prior. I knew the pool, like I knew the facility inside and out. So I was comfortable. I think that helped a ton. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, I was, it was just another one of those events where I, was able to just race free. Oh, that's cool. Now you, you made a vlog about it too, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I, believe, <laughs> I believe so. 
Yes. <laughs> Tell me about your vlogs on YouTube because I was telling you earlier, my husband and I were watching them the other day and we just couldn't stop. We just kept, well, look at that one. No, go look at this one. Look at that. Like they're just, they're so fun. Like tell me how I that kind of started and, and how you even have time to do that. <laughs> yeah. The time's the hardest part. Um, so I think it started in 2016, actually. So 2016, I went to short course world champs and it was race. We were racing in Windsor. And I, I don't know what really made me do it. Uh, I think maybe I'd seen some other athletes who vlogged or I just felt like there really wasn't a, a swimmer vlogger that kind of showed the ins and outs of swimming. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to vlog every single day of world champs. And this was my first world champs, which I thought was kind of like, now that I look back, I was like, well, that's kind of nuts. Like, why would you do <laughs> world champs? Because like right now, like I don't like vlogging at swim meets because it, it's really like it takes a lot of energy and like focus away from the actual being focused in the swimming. Mm-hmm. But I vlogged every day. I edited a vlog, like a 10 minute vlog every day of the meet. Wow. And I ended up winning the 100 IM there, which is my first like world champ gold. And I think it was so cool because people were able to just kind of follow along and see day by day, like the journeys behind the scenes. And so after that, I ended up kind of just stopping for a while because I felt like I didn't have anything exciting to vlog because I started at a world championships. <laughs> and then I realized like because of swimming in my, I have a, a nice following of swimmers that like to see what I do. And vlogging was the perfect opportunity for me to give them an inside scoop to what goes on in the life of a professional swimmer. And I think that was a cool opportunity. And too personally, like I love film. I love photography. I love the tech. I love being able to show and tell a story through it. And so it kind of clicked. I feel like there's so much more in store. Like this year is going to be really big for the vlog. I uh, have some cool ideas and also being here in California, there's so many things to do. <laughs> like in Kansas, you can't just go out and go for a surf, but um, the vlogs, will, the vlogs are coming back. I'll be posting one in a couple of days, hopefully if I find the time to edit. Um, and that was the tough thing is just making sure I'm intentional about editing and that I'm editing something that I want to put out. Cause I think a lot of times vloggers and YouTubers or content creators or whatever, they get so focused on trying to get views and to please the people that they're posting out and mm-hmm. they decide of doing it for themselves. And I think for me, the, the short break I've taken from vlogging since the past world cup mm-hmm. has kind of showed me, I should just make stuff that I want to make and that I enjoy making and mm-hmm. people will in return enjoy it. Cause it'll be natural, authentic. Like I just want to be able to give something that is real. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I thoroughly enjoy it <laughs> Thank you. now. Okay. You talk very openly with us about how swimming doesn't define you, mm-hmm. but when you are homeschooled, you swim and compete like full time, you make a living from it. Your dad is your coach. I think your mom has even acted as your agent, right? Like yeah. at your sister swam, like how do you not let it define you? Like how do you not get consumed by it? Yeah. Um, I think it's so in a, yeah, I don't know. It's, um, obviously a constant reminder that we're more than swimming. Like I could stop swimming tomorrow and I'd still be able to live life. It'd be weird. Like, I don't know how I would do that, but you know, I, I could, I could do it because it, it's not the be all end all. And yeah, I mean, I would hate to do that actually. Now that I think of it, like I could never do that, <laughs> but it's, it's weird. It's in the, so it's like it, it, it's not that it, so it doesn't define me but it's incredibly important to me. Mm -hmm. Like 
I, I get a lot of joy from it. I know that it's something I'm meant to be doing. It's um, something I really couldn't see myself without, or at least for, like at the time being. And like when you come, when you sh- this is how I kind of think of it. When you show up to race, you train so hard for a result. But I have to be willing to give up that result, having worked so hard. And I think that's, that's where I don't become defined. That's where that not being defined by it kind of plays a huge role is because I'm able to then race hard, train hard. But if I don't win, I get ready for the next competition, which is tough because, you know, a lot rides on that, like endorsements and sponsors mm-hmm. and prize money and things like that. But it gives me the freedom to then just do it and be me. Um, which ultimately leads to a better result in a weird way, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I love what I do. And the fact that I get to do it with my family makes it even better. Uh, I love it. When I, I found a great quote from you too, where you said, it's not about me. It's not about swimming. It's about the ability I've been blessed with and the circumstances I've been blessed with. I've been blessed to be able to do what I love, to hone my talents in a fun and loving environment while pursuing excellence and giving all the glory to God. Mm. How are you 19? You just seem to have this wisdom well beyond your years. I, I give all the credit to my parents. Oh, that's cool. Good job, mom and dad. I'm, I want to meet you guys. You're awesome. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I know your eyes are firmly set on Tokyo 2020, but what events do you have between now and then? Because I know you're not just going to be training the whole time. Yeah, no. Between now and then, we have a lot. So even just this year, we have a lot going on. Um, up until... June, we'll, there will be a bunch of pro series just scattered throughout the U.S. There's a competition in June called the Marinostrum, which is a tour through, um, we race in France, Barcelona, and then Monaco. And you, oh, on the wow. last day, you get to have dinner with the Prince and Princess of Monaco, which is super cool. So Are I went you to this, serious? Yeah. So I went to this last year. So the Princess of Monaco, um, she actually used to swim. That's how, she met, that's how she met Prince Albert was at the swim meet in Monaco. Oh, how now, cool. Very, yeah. Um, so she puts a function on for all the swimmers. And then after that, I actually go to Singapore for a training camp with Team USA as we lead into long course world championships. And that's the focus. That's like the big one for this year. World champs in South Korea. So Guangzhou, I think. Is and, that in, what month is that in? Uh, July. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we'll go to Guangzhou in July, race, world champs. And then after that, it's basically where I make my living. So now we go into world cups and ISL events, so International Swim League, we're hosting competitions um, around the world. We race for certain clubs or teams, and we make prize money. And that's how we swimmers basically will use that to kind of survive. Um, And so I'll be racing from July pretty heavily all the way up until December. And then we start again next year as we gear up for 2020 because the Olympic trials will be June, I believe. And then the Olympics will be starting in August. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, where can we continue to follow you online? Like give us your YouTube, your website, your, yeah, all your handles, absolutely. everywhere we can follow you to like cheer you on and continue to be inspired by you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So my Instagram and Twitter is just swimmer Michael. 
Um, it's kind of funny. We've been speaking so much about not being defined by your sport, although my handle is Swimmer Michael. Um, <laughs> so Swimmer Michael, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube is just Michael Andrew, just my name. Um, website, I think, is just Michael Andrew or Swimmer Michael, something like that. But we can... <laughs> we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes just so they can find you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Michael, thank you so much for coming on, for inspiring and encouraging us, and just for being you. I mean, I can't imagine all the things you've done at 19, and you're so well-spoken. You can articulate your wisdom so well. I'm just, I'm in awe of you, and you have a brand new fan over here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Isn't he such an incredible guy? It was a wild ride to see how his family navigated the decision to go pro, then the backlash from the community that he initially felt and finally how his family band together to get through it all. He is just so grounded in his approach to competition. And that comes from taking time to seek out mentors and develop that purpose-based mindset around competition. If you're interested in exploring those ideas further, then consider coming on a Hope Sports trip. You'll be with others who are asking the same questions and looking for purpose while they pursue their dreams. Next week, we've got Canadian Olympic hurdler, Sarah Wells. If there's one word to describe her, it's perseverance. Sarah has experienced several stress fractures in her femurs and through it all, never lost sight of her dreams. Be prepared to be inspired. On behalf of Hope Sports, I'm Laura Wilkinson. Thanks again for tuning in and have a great week. This podcast is produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media. For more information on Hope Sports and to access the complete archives, please visit hopesports.org.